How has the Federal Trade Commission updated endorsement guides, and what are the implications of such updates? I'm Po Yi, and this is Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. In our last episode of this podcast, I discuss many of the key updates that the FTC made to its endorsement guides and the updated FAQs with Jesse Brody and Bez Stern of Manat's advertising, marketing, and media team. For part two, I'm joined by two other members of our team, Jeff Edelstein and Monica Kukarni, both from our New York office, to discuss some of the other key points in the endorsement guides, specifically consumer reviews, incentivized reviews, and fake reviews. Jeff, welcome back to Perfect Balance. And Monica, it's great to have you join us for the first time. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks. Great to be back. The FTC included a whole new section on consumer reviews in the endorsement guides, which together with the examples in the guides and the updated FAQs provide some specific guidance on certain consumer review practices that the FTC deems to be deceptive. Monica, what are these deceptive consumer review practices according to the endorsement guides? As you alluded to, perhaps the most significant update to the endorsement guides is the FTC's inclusion of this new section on consumer reviews. Specifically, the section states that advertisers should not take actions that have the effect of distorting or otherwise misrepresenting what consumers think of their products, regardless of whether the reviews are considered endorsements under the guides. So this includes practices such as procuring, suppressing, boosting, organizing, publishing, upvoting, downvoting, et cetera, or just generally editing consumer reviews of products if the result is a distortion or a misrepresentation of what consumers think. This is significant because in previous versions of the endorsement guides and the FAQs, the FTC generally discussed online reviews in the context of making appropriate disclosure of any material connection between the reviewer and the reviewed product. This updated endorsement guide and the updated FAQs expand this guidance beyond the material connection disclosure issues previously articulated and specify consumer review practices that the FTC considers deceptive. So digging into those exact practices, the FTC has stated in the updated guides that deceptive consumer review practices include sorting reviews by favorability ratings, such as publishing reviews in the order of the number of stars received by the reviewers, deleting or not publishing negative reviews, or featuring only favorable reviews on third-party review sites, labeling reviews as the most helpful reviews when the selection was made by the retailer and not consumers, buying fake reviews, offering to pay purchasers or providing other incentives for writing positive reviews on third-party review websites, and threatening reviewers to post negative reviews on third-party websites. This includes threatening legal action, physical threats, or threats to disclose embarrassing information to coerce them into deleting their reviews. That's a pretty long list. Jeff? What is the FTC's main concern with consumer reviews? So the FTC's main concern is that advertisers not use consumer reviews in ways that are misleading or deceptive to consumers. For example, the FTC expressed concern about advertisers sorting reviews by favorability ratings, such as publishing reviews in the order of the number of stars received by the reviews. An example provided by the FTC and the FAQs that the FTC issued is an advertiser organizing consumer reviews of its products 
so that all five-star reviews come first, followed by four-star reviews, three-star reviews, two-star reviews, and one-star reviews in that order. And why is that a problem? The MTC thinks it's a problem because consumers could get the misleading impression of what users of the products think, since it's unlikely that consumers would read through all the reviews to get to the negative ones. For instance, a consumer that only reads the first reviews would think that the product got all, say, five-star reviews. So the FTC states that it has this concern, even if the advertiser gives consumers the option to resort the reviews, because many consumers might not realize that the default sort is by star rating. What about when an advertiser identifies or labels certain reviews as the most helpful review? Is that a problem? The FTC said, yes, that is a problem. When the selection is made by the advertiser and not consumers, an example given by the FTC in the guides is an advertiser's website with various product pages. Each product page provides consumers with the opportunity to review the product and rate it on a five-star rating scale, followed by individual consumers' reviews and ratings. The FTC says, assume that each product page starts with a glowing five-star review that is labeled as the most helpful review. The FTC said that labeling the reviews as the most helpful suggests that it was voted most helpful by consumers visiting the website. So the FTC stated that if the initial review on each page was selected by the retailer and was not selected as the most helpful by consumers, labeling it as the most helpful would be deceptive. These are new concerns which were not raised by the FTC in the previous version of the endorsement guides. I think that many websites sort reviews by favorable ratings and label reviews as the most helpful or words to that effect. So I think that these concerns raised by the FTC in the updated endorsement guides affect many advertisers whose websites have consumer reviews. Another big issue that the FTC focused on in the updated guides is moderation and filtering of reviews. Monica, is filtering permissible according to the FTC? It is permissible. In the updated guides, the FTC clarified that advertisers can still engage in certain common practices of content moderation, including filtering out customer reviews that contain unlawful, harassing, abusive, obscene, vulgar, et cetera, type of content or content that is inappropriate with respect to race, gender, sexuality, or ethnicity. The FTC also specified that advertisers can filter out reviews that are unrelated to the retailer's products or services and that retailers' customer services, delivery, returns, and exchanges are in fact related to its products and services. And therefore, these types of reviews that expand on those points are not able to be filtered out. This is consistent with the Consumer Review Fairness Act, or CFRA, which is a federal law that was enacted in 2016. It prohibits sellers from restricting individuals from reviewing sellers' goods, services, or conduct, or imposing penalties or fees on individuals for such reviews. The CFRA gives the FTC the power to enforce the law, so much of what the FTC has articulated in the updated guides parallels the CFRA. The CFRA, just to expand on that point, says that it's okay to prohibit or remove a review that contains confidential or private information. This means a person's financial, medical, or personnel file information, or a company's trade secrets. Those are all examples of confidential or private information, or 
if the review contains libelous, harassing, abusive, obscene, vulgar, sexually explicit, or those types of content within the review, or if the review is unrelated to the company's products or services, or if the review is clearly false or misleading. So as you can see, the CFRA and the updated endorsement guides are similar in this regard. An important point that the FTC makes is that applying those filters is fine, but those filters would need to be applied uniformly. That's correct. If the filter was only applied to certain reviews, that could leave the door open for a deceptive actor practice that involves the review being boosted or suppressed or in another way distorting the customer's or the consumer's view of the product or service. Another big concern that the FTC raised in the updated guides is the use of incentivized reviews. Jeff, it's pretty common for companies to provide a small token of appreciation to those who submit reviews. The FTC warned advertisers against using incentivized reviews, such as gifting products to consumers to write reviews, even if consumers are not required to write reviews, and even if consumers make the appropriate disclosure if the practice materially inflates a product's star rating. However, the FTC did say that advertisers can solicit reviews from consumers and even pay for reviews so long as consumers are not required to write a positive review to receive payment and they understand that there is no negative consequence for writing a negative review. However, an appropriate material connection disclosure should be made. So the endorsement guides provide the example of a manufacturer offering to pay genuine purchasers $20 each to write positive reviews of its products on third-party review websites. The FTC stated that such reviews are deceptive even if the payment is disclosed because their positive nature is required by the payment rather than being merely influenced by the payment. But the FTC also said that if the manufacturer does not require the reviews to be positive and the reviewers understand that there are no negative consequences from writing negative reviews, a clear and conspicuous disclosure of the material connection would be appropriate. I have a personal example of an incentivized review request I ordered an electronic device online. When I received it, I filled out the registration form and sent it back to the manufacturer by email. I received a response from the manufacturer thanking me for my purchase. The response also said that if I gave the product a five-star review, I would receive a free gift. I gave a review of the product, but it was not five stars. In fact, I criticized one feature of the product that I found annoying. Needless to say, I did not receive a gift. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure many others have had similar experiences. That's a perfect example of what not to do in soliciting reviews, according to the updated endorsement guides. Monica, how can advertisers communicate with consumers and solicit reviews that may not cross the line, according to the updated guides? The FCC has stated that advertisers can still solicit from or communicate with consumers in non-deceptive ways. So a common potentially deceptive practice that we often see is when an advertiser solicits reviews from customers who had a good experience with the advertiser or the product. And so the advertiser knows that the customer will leave a positive review. This practice is deceptive if the result is that the posted reviews are substantially more positive than if the advertiser had not engaged in the practice. So the best way to ensure that solicitation of customer reviews is not deceptive is by soliciting reviews from all customers uniformly, 
regardless of if they plan to leave a positive review or not. Also, companies can communicate with reviewers in non-deceptive ways. For example, companies can notify consumers of inaccuracies in their review. However, as mentioned, the FTC has stated that threatening reviewers who post negative reviews to coerce them into deleting their reviews is a deceptive practice. This is consistent with the CFRA, which makes it illegal for companies to threaten or penalize people for posting honest reviews. For example, in an online transaction, it would be illegal for a company to include a provision in its terms and conditions that prohibits or punishes negative reviews by customers. Let's talk about a practice that I'm sure everyone would agree is deceptive, the use of fake reviews. Jeff, you recently wrote an article about a new proposed rule that the FTC announced a day after the updated endorsement guides were issued. That's right. The FTC proposed a trade regulation rule to prohibit marketers from using deceptive practices in their product reviews and testimonials. The goal of the rule is to increase transparency and honesty in consumer reviews, which the FTC said have become increasingly affected by dishonest and fraudulent practices. So the proposed rule would prohibit the creation, purchase, dissemination, or sale of fake or false consumer reviews or testimonials such as by someone who does not exist, who does not have actual experience with the product, or who misrepresented their experience. The proposed rule would also prohibit repurposing reviews, such as using a consumer review written for one product so that it appears to have been written for a substantially different product. The rule would also prohibit buying positive or negative reviews, such as paying or giving incentives to a person in exchange for expressing a particular view in review. The FTC would also prohibit not disclosing insider consumer reviews and testimonials, which the FTC defined in the proposed rule as reviews run by company insiders, including officers, managers, employees, and their relatives. These reviews would require clear and conspicuous disclosure. The rule would prohibit misrepresenting company-controlled review websites. The FTC, in fact, has had uh, previous cases involving company-controlled review websites which appeared to be independent. The proposed rule would also prohibit suppressing reviews. Businesses would be prohibited from intimidating or using unjustified legal threats to suppress reviews. And the proposed rule would also prohibit false indicators of social media influence. So th this revision prohibits the sale, distribution, or purchase of fake indicators of social media influence for commercial purposes. So this applies to selling or purchasing followers, friends, connections, subscribers, views, plays, likes, reposts, and comments. And the FTC has also had previous law enforcement cases involving false indicators of social media influence. Unlike the endorsement guides, which are advisory and do not have the force of law, if the FTC finalizes this proposed trade regulation rule, there are stiff penalties for violations. The FTC can impose civil penalties of up to $50,120 per violation on wrongdoers for violations of the rule. The FTC has requested public comments on the proposed rule, and they're due by September 29th. Since the FTC was proposing a new rule on fake reviews, false indicators of social media influence, review suppression, and certain other review practices you mentioned, 
Why did the FTC also include a completely new section in the endorsement guides addressing reviews? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the reason is because the updated endorsement guides went into effect as soon as the FTC issued them. The proposed trade regulation rule has to go through a rulemaking process. So the public can submit comments on the rule. The FTC may or may not hold a hearing on the proposed rule. It's up to the FTC. And uh, then after the FTC reviews the uh, comments, the FTC then would most likely issue a final rule. But this rulemaking process takes a while. So even though there's a great deal of overlap between the updated endorsement guides and this proposed trade regulation rule regarding fake reviews, there is a benefit to the FTC having issued the updated endorsement guides, which go into effect immediately. The FTC picked out the practices that it considered to be the most serious and egregious. And in fact, the FTC issued the proposed rule along with a long commentary And they discussed comments that they had received on the initial proposed rule that the FTC had issued a few years ago. And the FTC indicated that the practice of fake reviews and fake testimonials has become prevalent in the industry. Consumer reviews are so essential to guiding consumers in making informed choices. How can brands solicit and present reviews in a manner that is helpful to consumers without tripping over the wire? Monica and Jeff? Can you give us a few tips before we end this podcast? The FTC's edition of consumer review guidance and examples signify its focus in targeting companies who engage in deceptive review practices. So advertisers should review their practices to ensure that they are not soliciting, suppressing, or boosting consumer reviews that could be considered a deceptive practice. For example, advertisers should not solicit reviews only from certain customers if they know that the result will be that the posted reviews are significantly more positive than if the advertiser had not engaged in that practice. Again, this is a practice that we commonly see in the industry. Secondly, while this is not news, advertisers should make sure that they disclose any material connection between the advertiser and the consumer. If the advertiser gifted the consumer a product in exchange for a review, the advertiser should make sure that there is a clear and conspicuous disclosure that describes this material connection where the consumer leads the review. While this is, again, not a new principle, we commonly see this practice where the advertiser does not leave a clear and conspicuous disclosure describing the material connection between the advertiser and the consumer. Jeff, what tips would you like to share with our listeners? A best practice is for advertisers to review their practices regarding consumer reviews and testimonials to ensure that they are complying with the FTC's proposed rule prohibiting fake or misleading reviews and testimonials. Even though the rule is only proposed at this time, I think it's likely the FTC will finalize a rule that is substantially similar. The FTC may make some tweaks, but having been an attorney with the FTC earlier in my career and having worked on a number of trade regulation rules when I was there, I think it's highly likely that the FTC will issue the rule in some form. Also, I think that advertisers should consider submitting comments to the FTC about the proposed rule, which, as I mentioned, are due by September 29th. The FTC does review all of the comments that are received and uh, takes them very seriously into consideration in deciding what changes to make to a proposed rule. 
Thank you, Jeff and Monica, for taking this time to discuss the FTC's most recent guidance on consumer reviews, incentivized reviews, and fake reviews. And thank you, listeners, for joining us once again for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. If you'd like to learn more about the FTC's endorsement guides, please visit Manat's Advertising, Marketing, and Media Practice page on www.manat.com for our articles on this topic. And as always, feel welcome to reach out with any questions. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please subscribe to Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat to receive updates about future episodes. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Perfect Balance, an advertising law podcast from Manat. The views expressed on the podcast reflect the personal views and opinions of the participants and are not intended to constitute legal advice or counsel under any circumstance. Downloading and listening to this recording do not result in the formation of an attorney-client or other business relationship. You should not act on any information in the podcast without seeking the advice of a competent attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction.